It is necessary to investigate before legislating. But the line between investigating and persecuting is a very fine one. The investigators tell us it seems the suspect was going to pass them, then turned and fired. And Christine, Laura, what you're seeing behind me is one of multiple locations. Arise to support the impeachment of President Donald J. Trump. And I'm about to talk to him about allegations that he was involved with prostitutes in Moscow and that the Russians taped it and have leverage over him. Welcome back. We're with, again, Glade Miller-Smith of FamilyFarmBeefBox.com. He's been a big hit on CDM across the network. Get a lot of comments that uh, loved what he had to say, so we thought we'd have him back. Welcome back, Glade. Hello, sir. So, yes, we, uh, through our conversations and talking about things that are pertinent and relevant and, and, you know, on the forefront of people's minds is we came up with this idea of the value of homesteading. Now, I'm going to give a little disclaimer here when I mentioned to my wife that uh, you know, we're going to be doing a little bit, a little discussing about the value of homesteading. It didn't go over real well, and you <laughs> might be surprised. And so... I mean, is it that that I don't believe in the homesteading ideals? No, like, you know, as far as self-sufficiency, our, our family, we, we could be a poster child if we wanted to. We, yeah. Yes, we raised meat, we raised chickens, we have an orchard, we plant a garden, we put up uh, food in the freezer and can it and put it down in the cellar. And we, I have a milk cow, you know, we, yeah. we're off, off grid for our heat source and have our own well and a windmill in case that goes bad. You know, there's fantastic. We're, we're, we're all of those things. You say, well, why aren't you all for the homesteading movement? Well, the thing, it's not that I'm against the homesteading movement so much as that. Let me put it this way to you. I, I like football. I coach fifth, sixth grade football. My son happens to be in fifth, sixth grade. So yeah, we, I coach football. I like football. If I was sitting in a room with Nick Saban, I would not say, yeah, you and me, Nick, we're football coaches. That, uh, that is my perspective of what the true homesteaders were and my relation to them. I love football. I love being the coach in the football, but I am nowhere near the level of what Nick Saban is, nor do I believe that I'm on the level of what the, the true homesteaders were. So with fear and trembling, I say, yes, I like homesteading. I just don't think that we, we have the value and appreciate what uh, what the original homesteaders do. So what my, my first thought of the value. So, so, so you're being you're being humble. Thank you. Yeah. 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 So my, <laughs> my first thought in, in valuing homesteading is let's appropriately honor those who were the original homesteaders. Mm -hmm. I brought I brought a couple of show and tell. So my great grandpa Smith, if you can see this, this is a, a Winchester. 22. Wow. Built in the late 1800s. So my great grandpa loaned this to his brother who left Nebraska and went over to Homestead in Wyoming. Wow. For the next three years, he eventually got it back. He loaned <laughs> it to his brother. If you can, if you've ever loaned something to your brother, you can imagine how that went down. Yes. But at that time frame, you're saying late 1800s, you don't run down to the quick stop and buy a slice of pizza. 
when he came back, he said, he, he told his brother, I would have starved to death had you not loaned me that gun because it kept me in jackrabbits. Yep. So for several years, you know, and, and homesteading, we like the thought of, of, uh, of raising our own food and providing for own, whether that's hunting, gathering, farming, raising livestock. But the difference is now we can do that and we enjoy it and it's good. When my great grandfather's brother went out to Wyoming, he got to eat a rabbit every few days or he well, would have starved. Those are actually really good sources of protein, though, rabbits, yeah, and, well, and they multiply very fast. So, <laughs> read like rabbits. So, you know, the, the, we, we lose the concept of if our homesteading efforts fail, we won't starve. Right. These boys went out and, and they had a 22, and if they could hit that jackrabbit, they didn't starve to death. You know, similarly, here in Nebraska and South Dakota in, in those early days, uh, you know, you would you would have you would try to plant a crop and that crop would last, you know, you would harvest that crop and that would be your food. The only food you have through the winter, through the next planting season to the next harvest. That's what you ate. And and if and if bugs came and ate that crop, again, you starved to death. Yeah. Unless you ate the bugs. Yeah. And that's what they did. Early in the early nineteen hundreds when the University of Nebraska first was formed out here. The, the football team was not called the Cornhuskers. We were called the Bug Eaters. Oh. That was a term that was popularized by Eastern journalists who had come out and saw that the farmers out here were starving to death. And so they ate the bugs that ate their crop. Wow. Like this, this is the, uh, the, the scenario of what and, and why I, I kind of hold these homesteaders up, what they went through to do what they did, what they went through to do what they accomplished. Again, not because I'm against us trying to do that. I'm very much for it. But I'm just upholding. I'm, I want to give honor to the true homesteaders. I've got a neighbor right down the road here. Well, he's a country neighbor. He's seven miles away. He's two houses down. So, you know, so that, you know, and, and he's he's close to my age, a little younger than me. And and he, he raises cattle. He actually does leather working in old-fashioned way, does a good job at it, Um but, you know, his great-grandparents homesteaded here. My great-grandparents homesteaded here. And we have this nice little back-and-forth uh, satire about all the homesteading things that has begun to popularize. So, you know, in, in our way, he, had, he turned 30 here a while back, and I brought him a birthday gift, and I brought him a wooden cross. This is for your homesteading adventure to start burying your loved ones when they start dying. You know, like, th this is... And, and I mean, I'm, I'm not trying to downgrade all the people who are all excited about homesteading. Be excited about homesteading. Realize that it's a blessing that we can do this. And if you raise a crop of green beans to save for the, I love green beans. I, I raise a lot of green beans and we try yeah. to pick them up, you know, and if your crop of green bean fails, you can run down to the supermarket and buy more. So just appreciate this and appreciate how much tenacity that these guys had before us. I have uh I have sitting here my next exhibit for my show and tell. Sure. This is a this is an obituary of my great grandmother. Ah. My my great grandmother. She was born in 1851. Came from Denmark. And so, this was Grandpa Smith's gun. That was on the Smith side. This would have been on my grandmother's side, and and she homesteaded just a few miles that way from where I'm sitting right here in the in the late 1850s or 1800s. Mrs. Anderson, with her husband, 
was one of the early pioneers, which in spite of hardships and privations, stayed with the state and in no small way contributed to this section of the country to make it what it now is. And we who are younger owe much of the comforts and prosperity which we enjoy to just such people as they. Now those words, what I've come to understand is those weren't words that were specifically about my grandmother because those very same words are in the obituary of my great-great-grandfather, word for word. And so what I've come to understand is that this was a generation of people who suffered greatly privations and hardships, but created the country that we have now. And, and so I want to, when I, when I say I want to go more off grid, you know, I want to do that not because it's fun, because, but there's value to it. But the original people that did this, when they gave up things, when they gave up their co more comfortable life in Denmark or wherever they came, and they came here, they came here for a reason. And so that's, that's the, uh, the goal for going forward with, with homesteading now is, yes, I, I think we should raise food. And if you don't raise your own food, you should network with people who raise food like me. Here mm -hmm. I am. Yeah. There's me soliciting. I, I raise beef in Nebraska and I ship it all over the country. There you go. Yes, that's what I, I do. And, and I'd love to ship you some beef, Family Farm Beef Box. But, but why did these guys originally... Um, go homestead. And, and I, I've got a theory. I've got three reasons. The first is the ability to own something. When these guys went out private property, you had 40 acres and a mule or whatever it was like, oh man, if I could just, I could build something, but you can't build it unless you own it. So number one is, is private property. Two is sustainability. And sustainability in so much as that I want to sustain my family. I have myself and my wife, and we have a set of ideals that I would like to raise up a generation of children and teach them those ideals so that they can create and build and raise up a set of children who have those ideals. See, that's, that's sustainability. And so, you know, even, even the, the pilgrims coming over to this country, there were, there were times and part of the rationale people left and went and homesteaded because that family, that sustainability was so important. I don't want things corrupting my children. I want to teach them these ideals so they will teach them to their children so that when my, you know, when I turned 40, my dad gave me that gun that was my great, great grandpa's, you know, because these are things we pass on. Not that the gun matters that much, but, but the ideals and, and that work ethic and creating things, which, which leads me to the last point of creating is, is point number three to build something, and, and what I tell my kids is, you build it and then admire your work. Now, that's not to be boastful, but there's something about whether you're a carpenter and you build a rocking chair. You know, you're a gardener and you raise a tomato plant, you're an artist and you make a canvas, you, you know, do what you do. You know, you're a, an interviewer, you're gonna go home and you're gonna edit these together and, and you're gonna stop for a minute and say, boy, I did a pretty good job. You know, admire your work. And, and that's, not, that's not a boastful thing. That is a reward for work spent. And, and not to, I'm not trying to preach at anybody, but if we're trying to take a biblical model here, we'll notice that God, when he created Adam and Eve, he did these three things that he made a garden. And then he took Adam and Eve and he said, this is yours. He gave them private property. He told them, be fruitful and multiply. I want you to raise children who can raise children who can raise children, who can 
do the third thing, which is tend and keep this garden. I want you to take it and I want you to create in this garden. I want you to work. And work is a good thing. Work is not a curse. Work is not a sin. Work is the, if you ask, ask somebody who loves their job and it's not work. And it's not work because God made us to create. And, and we know that, and I say admire our work because that's what God did. If, if, we, if we read Genesis, it says that uh, he made all the plants and animals. And then he sat back and what did he do? He said, this is good. He made all the fish in the sea. He said, this is good. And then You're he looked right, everything that he'd made on the, on the sixth day. And he said, wow, this is very good. He didn't go boasting about it. He just said, wow, I'm really glad I did this. Let's do that in the homesteading movement. And so when we, when we look forward, you know, we don't have to have a source of food at this very moment. That could change. <laughs> that's, that's part of my value in homesteading. That, that could change. There, we've quickly, seen it could change quickly. Yeah. There's times when there might not be food in the grocery store. But we've also got this same set of ideals. We should, we should desire to own things and to raise up children and to build with our hands. And how do we do that in today's society when we may or may not agree with everything that's going on around us? Well, you, you mentioned everything around us. You mentioned raising your children in a certain a certain set of values. One thing we're trying to tell people is you don't have to plug in and be part of what's out there as far as trying to teach your children other values. You can just refuse to accept that and and do what you want to do. And that's essentially what you're saying here. Yeah. Okay. So let me let me hone in on what you just yeah. said. The goal is you can train your children what you believe and not train them whatever everybody else is saying. Is that, yes, is that correct? That's correct. Yes. Amen, brother. Yeah, you know, yeah. If, if I was going to pick a, a model for raising up our kids, let's train up with children in the way they should go. Yeah. Not, not yeah. in the ways that they shouldn't go. I, I love the illustration of, of counterfeit money. You know how they study how to determine how, how counterfeit specialists determine uh, whether a bill is counterfeit or not? No. Don't. They don't study all the ways that you can destroy a bill. They study what a bill should be. Hmm. They study what a bill sh should be so much that if anything is off, they can spot it. That's my model for raising kids. I, I think kids, kids are impressionable. That's the way God made them. They're, they're, as they're growing, they're learning. They're a sponge. And if you tell them that this is an option, if you tell them, you know, who, who was the, the late night uh, guy that got in trouble a while back here because he, he said that, boy, I'm glad that when I was a, a boy, they didn't, they didn't suggest that you could be a pirate because I'd go and I'd have a peg leg and an eye patch right now. <laughs> um, you, you know, you, you tell a kid something, they're going to believe it. Sure. I, I, I'm a big, we, we have, you know, back to the homesteading thing. We've got six kids. My wife homes, homeschools them, you know, because we believe, do I want to shelter them from the world forever? No, of course not. Can't, can't do it. But but it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out you have to grow up for a while before you can have the mental capacity to make decisions on your own and make them good. Let, let's let's do that with our kids. Let's let's build a foundation so that when they get older, then, yes, they can go and be an influence for good when they're ready, not when they're not when they're a child. You know, fantastic, Glade. So tell me what the schedule is. If somebody orders from Family Farm Beef Box today. No mRNA, delicious meat from your farm in Nebraska. When will it be delivered? So we, we have a standard. You know, we're, we're not 
we're not Omaha steaks. We take cattle to the butcher twice a month. Right. So we, we, we keep a fresh supply. And so then our goal is every Monday, assuming there's no holidays that shut the week down for shipping, every Monday we ship beef via UPS. Okay. And, and, and out it goes across the country. So, and we put on our website and it's, and it's fairly accurate. You know, this is the next Monday. That's the ship date. Sometimes we get a little oversold. And, and so if you look like it'll be right now, if you order, uh, it's this next Monday and then the Monday after that. And so when, and to clarify, when we take beef to the butcher, we've got a number of relationships that we've built that people that subscribe to our beef. And so I know out of these beef that we took to the butcher shop, a bunch of it's already sold. And, and this is my way of, you want food security? I've got, I'm always thinking six to 12 to 18 months ahead. How can I make sure and have beef for these families in November, in January, in next March? And if you subscribe with me, I'm going to make sure that we do everything we can to have that beef ready for you and available and to ship ideally within that next week. And then whatever, and then as we grow, we have some extra. And so then that we make those available as a single box purchase, like just, just try a box, try a sample box, try our, our 30 pound box. And so we have a limited n- a number of those. And, and that's really, you look at that date and say, you know, all right, it's going to ship this Monday or the next Monday. And away we go. So, fantastic, Lade. And uh, our audience should know we're going to have you on again all the time on a regular basis to talk about these fantastic subjects. So, I'm going to to send you off. I'm going to send you. I'm going to let your listeners, your viewers, ponder something that that I have pondered for a long time when it comes to these homesteaders and how much tougher they were than than us. Okay, think about this because I've got six kids, you know, and, and we live in the house. But these homesteaders, they might they lived in a one-room cabin or a one-room sod house with one bed, and they would have six or eight kids in that one room with one bed, and then mom and dad would keep having more kids. <laughs> you let that thing sink, think, sink in there a little bit there, huh? <laughs> uh, them, guys, them guys had some guts. That's why you have the barn, Glade. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Boy, why dad was such in a hurry to build that barn. <laughs> Thank you for your time. We'll have you back. Take care.